Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to return with me to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 this morning is where we're picking up in our stories through the Gospel of Mark, one of the shorter Gospels, the shortest, but certainly packed full of Gospel truth concerning our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And there's certainly no more pertinent topic for a church to talk about than Jesus Christ, and that's one we'll talk about this morning again. Mark chapter 5, in a moment we'll be reading, picking up in verse 21. I certainly recognize, as, long, as well as you do, that news, any kind of news, travels really fast, especially nowadays with the advent of technology. We can certainly admit that news travels particularly quickly, but even not just in 2023. The studies indicate that when President Kennedy was assassinated, within two hours, the whole world knew that he was dead, that who had killed him, where he was killed, and how he was killed. That's how fast news travels. News travels really fast. By God's grace, we've been going through this incredible journey in the stories of Mark's gospel, and there's been some news about Jesus that has been traveling the coast along the Sea of Galilee. This news is seen in the collection of stories that Mark has revealed to us in the passages leading up to the one we're about to read in chapter 5. You remember the first story was one about a storm and how the disciples had crossed over the Sea of Galilee and as they were on that boat, it says there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat upon the ship and the ship was now full and the disciples were going from the west side of the Sea of Galilee to the east side of the Sea of Galilee when the storm hits But it was with one word, with just the words of Jesus, that the storm was stilled. Remember in Mark 4, it says in verse 39, Peace be still, Jesus said, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now that kind of story, even this one and the one before it about Jesus' baptism, spreads like wildfire. People are going to be hearing of these things that have just taken place, and they're going to have to ask this question. Was that true? Did Jesus really make that happen? Is Jesus really the Lord, even of nature? But as the disciples go from the west side to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, there comes one that is possessed by the demons. And this one possessed by the demons knows exactly who Jesus is. In fact, it says in Mark 5, verse 7, he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus the Son of the Most High God. And once again, with just a word, Jesus casts out the demons out of this man. And this is another one of those stories that would have spread like wildfire. And people will have to hear, will hear that, and you can't keep that kind of a miraculous story a secret, and everyone will have to come to another conclusion. Do I believe that? Is that really true? Is Jesus really Lord of demons? You can't keep a story like that a secret. You may believe it or not, you'll hear about it, but you can't keep it a secret. And there'll be all kinds of opinions from the east side to the west side of the Sea of Galilee about this Jesus. But for those that lived in Gadara, where the maniac was healed, they made a decision. Did you notice their decision? Their decision was, get out of here. We don't want Jesus on our coastline. In fact, it says in Mark 5, verse 17, then they began to pray to him, depart out of our coasts, get out of here. They wanted him gone. So Jesus and his disciples 
get back in the boat that they've now just traveled on across that great storm to cure just one man, to save just one man. We noted that last week. And as they get back in the boat, they're going back to where they already just came from. And as they come to where they just came from, by the way, when they left from that one side to go to where the maniac was, you remember he left a great huge crowd. So large was the crowd that some even got into boats and followed him. And he goes there, and as he's coming back to the same coastline, there's a crowd of people still there. As if to say they are waiting for him to return. Because they've been hearing all of these stories, and they have had to make a decision, and news has traveled fast. And they wanted to meet this Jesus that they've been told so much about, basically that this is the life-changing Jesus. Let's meet this Jesus. And in the midst of this crowd now, we read this story, picking up in verse 21. It says, When Jesus was passed over again by the ship under the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Some commentators say his name is Jairus. Some commentators say his name is Jairus. There's really quite a split opinion on how to pronounce that. We'll call him Jairus. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she may live. And Jesus went unto him, and much people followed him, and thronged him. I want you to notice that. There's a large crowd, and in this chapter, Mark 5, Mark has made a point of indicating just how big this crowd was. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. She's there. And when she had heard of Jesus, came in and the pressed behind him and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all that had been, all the truth. And, and he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. So Jesus goes from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side, and what does he find? Remember in verse 21, much people gathered unto him. Now Luke's account of the same story puts it this way in Luke 8 verse 40, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. They were just, I don't know what they were doing while he was on the other side of the maniac of Gadara, but maybe they had some kind of campfire and s'mores, but they were waiting right there. Because when he came, there they were. And again, these stories can't be kept private. They are out there. And news travels fast. It always has. And before Jesus gets within even visual distance of the shoreline, the people begin to rush to him. And they're even beginning, you can imagine, to wade through the water to get to him. But there are two notable people that stand out that Mark identifies here. One is a synagogue official named Jairus, or Jairus, depending on how which commentator you read tells you how to pronounce it. 
And he would have been a well-respected gentleman of a good salary. He would have been someone looked up to as a leader in the community. No doubt the crowd would have parted when he came to Jesus because they knew who he was. And he has a daughter who is 12 years old, and she is so sick that she is on the verge of death. We don't know what the sickness is, but it is serious. And he is thinking, I have heard these stories of Jesus. I need to get Jesus to come to be with my daughter and heal my daughter. That's what he is thinking. But there's another woman. There's a woman identified as the woman with an issue of blood, and she's not even given a name. Interestingly enough, when this girl was born 12 years earlier, that's right when this woman began to have her issue. We don't even know her name. She's a nobody. But she's heard the stories of Jesus as well. And she is convinced, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. Now, many people followed the Lord and are thronging to him. But only these two pushed through the crowd to come to the life-changing Jesus. Only these two come through for a real reason, not just because of the stories, but because of the change that can wrought in their own life. The truth is, isn't that often the case with many who throng to churches today? Or many go to churches of places of worship. There are many that will gather around the communion table that we'll do this evening or this morning. There are many that will sing Christmas carols and hymns, but there are just a few that come to the life-changing Jesus. It's not hard to find a crowd. It's harder still to find someone who's looking for change. So many go but so few get anything really changing from Jesus. And that's what we're going to see as we look at this text this morning. You see, in these stories, we've discovered that Jesus is not only the Lord of the storm, the Lord of nature. Jesus is not only the Lord of Satan, the Lord of, disease, of, of, of demons. Jesus is not only the Lord of sickness, the Lord of disease. Jesus is able to heal any sick person he chooses. Jesus is the life changing Lord of all. Now this is a simple message today about Jesus' power to heal the sick, which I hope is a blessing to you. But as we go through what is no doubt a familiar passage, you'll note first of all that life is full of struggles. I'm sure you could agree. Here we see two people in this story who have incredible struggles. There are two very real problems conveyed in this story. Jairus' daughter is suffering with a great illness that she may die from, and this woman has an issue of blood that she has not been cured from for over 12 years. Now, what do we learn from this? Well, we learn, and I'm not sure we needed to learn a lesson about it, that life is full of struggles. I'm sure if I were to ask you to take out a pen and paper and just note down what it is that you are struggling with right now, you would not have a hard time putting something down. Because life is full of struggles. Struggles with disease, for example. This woman in our text has a very real illness. A certain woman had an issue of blood 12 years. Can you imagine that? How do you live through that? Here's a woman whose body must be an absolute mess in some ways. And she has been struggling. And that's part of life as a sinful people in a sinful world. Some of you have struggled with great disease. Getting cancer more than one time is a struggle. Getting cancer one time is a struggle. Just going through life is full of very difficult, hard situations. Just think about what you lose, like this woman did, when you're diseased. Disease can take your control away from you. 
Suddenly the body, rather than obeying you, has its own agenda. And it is the one that is dictating what you can or cannot do. It takes away your control. It, it can take away your identity. Sick people can become defined by their illness. Isn't it interesting that this lady is not named? She's just the lady with the issue of blood. That, is, that has become her identity. She is just known by her sickness. Disease can take away your certainty. With a chronic illness, everything becomes contingent upon the condition. Vacations are contingent upon how you feel about your body. One will go to work if sickness will allow and not go if sickness does not allow. Even getting up in the morning can be stipulated upon your sickness. Sickness can take away the certainty of whether or not you can even come to do the things that you love to do. Sickness can take away your resources. The woman in the story, it says in verse 26, spent all that she had. But she had been physically and spiritually and emotionally and financially spent. It was just gone. That's where this woman is. She is struggling with illness. Sickness is the great interrupter of life. It enters without knocking. It thwarts all of your plans. It mocks any idea of certainty. It diminishes the hope for the future. It introduces you into your life like a burglar in your own home. And now you don't feel safe. That's a struggle. Struggles with disease. But there's also struggles with disappointment we see in this text. You know what may be worse than struggling with an illness. You're struggling with an illness with, for 12 years. And what might be worse than struggling with an illness for 12 years is to go to doctors, spend all your money being told that you will be healed, only to again and again and again find out that there's no hope. That might be even worse than the sickness itself. It says in verse 27, she had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered. And then Mark adds, but rather grew worse. Like she got worse as a result. She suffered much for her so-called cures that she sought. But most of all, perhaps, would have been the disappointment of thinking, I'm finally getting an answer. But no answer is to be found. You know, if there's anything worse than struggling with what kind of illness, it's imagine struggling with that kind of disappointment. Here I am, not knowing what to do, and someone says, you know, have you heard about Dr. So-and-so? She or he really helped me. And you go in and you think, finally, answers. And then there's nothing. Various sources inform us of the nature of some of these kind of cures that existed during this time in history. Pliny's natural history reveals the generally low condition of medical science in the world at that time. Physicians were accustomed to prescribing doses of curious concoctions made of ashes of burnt wolf's skulls, that was a cure apparently, stag's horns, heads of mice, the eyes of crab, crabs, owl's brains, the livers of frogs and other ailments. For dysentery, powdered horse's teeth were administered into your mouth. And a cold, if you had a cold in your head, would have been cured, they said, by kissing a mule's nose. And it was kind of interesting. Jewish writings, such as the Talmud, we learn of some other curious cures. In the Talmud, it says, one remedy consisted of drinking a goblet of wine contained a containing in it a powder compound from rubber, alum, and garden crocuses. And you would drink that. Another consisted of a dose of Persian onions cooked in wine administered with the summons, arise out of your flow of blood. That was a cure. 
Other physicians prescribed sudden shocks to treatments. However, they were able to get that, I'm not sure. Or the carrying of the ash of an ostrich's eggs in a certain cloth around with you for months at a time. That was going to cure you. That's the kind of supposed treatment. I mean, medical science had not advanced very far at this point. They were just throwing stuff against the wall to see if it would stick. And she was their guinea pig, if you will. And it's not healing. For some of us, that's the way of life. You say, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to take care of myself better. I'm going to have a better diet. And I still get sick. Just the fallen nature of world. Life is that way. It's full of disappointments. And there's struggles with shame. To add insult to injury, literally. This woman was also subjected to tremendous social pressures. The nature of this woman's illness fell under the stipulations of Leviticus 15, whereby she would have been pronounced in her Jewish community as unclean. And as such, she would have been an outcast for all of those 12 years. If you read Leviticus 18, you'll understand that this lady would not have been able to take part in any religious observance for all of that time. She would not have been able to have any public contact with anybody during that time. Apparently, she was forced to be separated from her family and her husband. Do you know what that means? You can go back and look at Leviticus 15 and see what I'm laying out for you if you'd like. If this woman sat in this chair up here and then left, and then I sat in that chair after her, I would then, or you would then, be unclean and have to go through some ceremonial process of cleaning. So, if you have a family gathering around the Christmas time, and you invite your friends and your family and your neighbors, are you inviting her? No. She is a social outcast for all of this time. Can you imagine the shame this woman would have had to endure? She's not had a hug for 12 years, quite literally. I would make the suggestion that in a sense, this woman is a picture of all of us apart from Jesus. All of us struggling through, all of us trusting in certain things that eventually lead to disappointment, all of us aware of how often we are in shame because of our sin. And people turn to all kinds of different things, don't they? People turn to alcohol or drugs to numb them of the pain of shame, disease, and disappointment. People will turn to hobbies to get lost in thinking about anything other than their pain, disappointment, and shame. People may even turn to religion and try all kinds of crazy stuff to kind of fill the void in their mind because of the pain and the disappointment and the shame. But I want you to note in this text that this woman did none of that. And praise God by his grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, she realized there's only one person to go to. Jesus is the life-changing Lord of all. And so she runs to him. And life is full of struggle. That's just the reality. But Jesus is the life-changing Lord. And number two, life must have faith in the Savior. This lady goes to Jesus because she heard about Jesus. Look at verse 27. It says she heard the reports about Jesus. Again, news travels fast. She had heard what was going on with Jesus. She had heard, no doubt, that he had the power to calm the storm. She had heard that he had cast out demons. She had heard that he could heal the sick. This lady was a believer. She is saying, I believe if I could get to Jesus, he would heal me. I was flippantly 
flipping rather through the radio the other day and hoping to catch some kind of talk radio or more likely sports radio, because that's what I like to listen to, right? I know, it's so carnal of me. <laughs> and on came the infomercials. You ever heard those? So, sometimes those are fun, because they have all of these, like, cures, and you hear all these people giving the testimonies, like, I literally could not walk, and uh, all of a sudden I took some pill or sprayed some ointment in my eyeballs, and all of a sudden... Everything about me is cured. Now, I'm not saying whether or not those people are telling you the truth. I, I don't know. Maybe they do. My, the cynic in me thinks they're not because someone paid for that commercial. But regardless, maybe it's working for them. And I'm thinking, you know, that, that is awesome. I'm so happy for them. And I'll be honest with you, I don't believe most of those infomercials. Uh, but I still think it's funny to listen to them. But that's the kind of situation people found themselves in when we get to our text this day. These people are hearing all kinds of stories. You can almost think of them like infomercials, right? And they're hearing like he, he healed the, or he calmed the storm, and he cast out demons, and he healed the sick. And there are probably a lot of cynics that are like, ah, okay, I don't know if that's true, though. I mean, I've never seen anything like that, have you? I've never seen the storm just kind of stop immediately. I've seen crazy people, but I've never seen them in their right mind. I've seen sick people, but I've never seen them cured, especially with medicine the way it is now, the way it was at that point. And she had heard these miracles, but she was not a cynic. You know, we're reading about Jesus calming the sea and the storm. Do you believe that? She believed that. We're reading about Jesus casting out demons from this man. Do you believe that? She believed that. There was no doubt in her heart. We're reading about Jesus healing sick people. Do you believe that? She believed that. When you open up your gospel account and you read of this, you're actually thinking, yes, I believe that. And this lady heard and she believed. And notice what it says in verse 27. She heard the reports about Jesus. She came up behind him in the crowd, touched his garment, for she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. Now, no doubt other cynics would have said, I don't believe that. You're crazy to think that that's going to work. They would have been skeptical. But this woman in her heart believed. She not only believed, but she acted upon her belief. By the way, that's true faith. Faith isn't just saying, yeah, I believe that. Faith is doing something. She, she came up behind him in the crowd through, no doubt, great effort on her own part and touched him. Faith is acting. Now, why would she sneak up on him? Ever thought about that? I mean, Jairus, he comes up to Jesus, and he just, you know, he's just talking with her, but she sneaks up on him. Why would she sneak up on him? Well, answer, several reasons. She's unclean. All of her, all of her these 12 years, she's not had the social interactions. And number two, Jesus is very busy. In fact, at that moment, He's talking with Jairus about his daughter who's near unto death. At the moment that this is happening, he's walking to go be with that lady. And notice verse 23. Let's keep the story all together so we can understand the full context. In verse 23 it says, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and alive. And he went with him. So he's... He's actually not just standing there, like after the service, you want to talk to someone, you see him in the hallway, and they're just kind of casually talking with someone. 
There's no doubt an earnestness in the steps of Jesus if he's following Jairus, because I guarantee Jairus is not moving slowly to get back to his daughter. He's moving with some earnestness, and Jesus is going with him. So the lady sneaks up to him. Yes, she's, she's a social outcast, but also she has to pursue him. And she comes up to him and she tucks him. Can you imagine this woman? She's unclean. She's not supposed to be out with people, but she sees Jesus. She sees Jesus with somebody very important. What is she going to do? Here she is following Jesus. He's talking to Jairus, and they're going to see the daughter. Now this lady is no doubt pushing and shoving and running and moving to Jesus. And what happens next? She heard the stories. She believed in Jesus. She acted in faith, and she experienced a miracle. Look at verse 29. And immediately, there's Mark's favorite word again. Actually, two of his favorite words back to back. And immediately. Mark loves this word in his gospel. Everything moves quickly in his gospel. The word and connects this immediately with everything that's been going on in this story. Immediately should tell you this happened in an instant. It's not like, you know, you see those um, old movies where someone transforms, right? Maybe like a, 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 an old, like when the Wicked Witch of the West turns, you know, and it kind of, it's like this gradual progression. You know, you ever seen those? That is not, uh, it immediately is like, immediately. I don't know how else to tell you. In a blink of an eye, if you will, or right away, maybe even quicker than a blink of an eye. And that's how God does miracles. He does the real thing. She touches Jesus, and immediately her life was changed, and she knew it. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease because he's the life-changing Jesus. But here comes the part of the story that can be a little bit challenging, but it's wonderful. You see, life is framed by our sovereign God. And this really sets the whole frame of the picture that we've been gazing at. Would you look at verse 30 with me? It says, And Jesus perceived in himself that power had gone out from him. The King James uses the word Virtue to describe power in verse 30. Jesus sensed something. And immediately, it says, he turned around in the crowd and says, who touched my garments? Now, everybody is pushing and shoving. I mean, this is a crowd. Of course, people are touching you. It's exactly why his disciples say in verse 31, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, you touched me. Like, basically, you ever been in one of those crowded buses on your commutes, right? Of course, you're going to get bumped, right? I mean, Who touched you? What are you asking? It's as if they're saying, what kind of dumb question is that? Everybody's touching everybody right now. We're all kind of squeezed in here. The disciples don't understand, but there is a reason that Jesus is asking this question. May I quickly give you what is not an acceptable answer? Jesus is not asking this because he doesn't know. Jesus knows. It's not like Jesus is walking and all of a sudden something happens and it takes him by surprise. Like, oh, what just happened there? Jesus knows who this lady is. Jesus knows what she did. Jesus knows what he did. But Jesus asked, who touched my garments? And it's okay to ask a question when you already know the answer. Moms do it all the time. (laughs) Did you clean your room? They know if you cleaned your room. But you remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate the fruit and God walks into the garden and he asks, where are you? God knows where they are. He's not asking because he lost Adam and Eve. So when he asked, who touched my garments? Why is Jesus asking that? And notice what happens. 
And he looked around to see what had done, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now what does this mean? It means she shared her testimony. That's what it means. And that's why Jesus asked the question. Jesus wanted to people to know who he was and what had just happened and who's with him. Jesus wants Jairus to know who he is. That's who's with him right now. Jesus wants his disciples to know who he is. With, who he is. They are with him. For that matter, he wants the crowds to know who he is. And all of these people around are going to hear this woman give testimony, and some of them are going to hear this story, and like her before, are going to say, I believe. I mean, this is another story that indicates the power of the life-changing Jesus. And they're going to hear this lady, and they're going to say, I believe that. And more people are going to come to Jesus because Jesus has sovereignly framed this in the life of this situation so that more would believe. Jesus came to this world as God to go to a cross and suffer and die in my place. Now, how am I going to know who Jesus is? You know it when people whose lives have been changed tell you about Jesus, don't you? For the matter, you, you know it from stories just like this one. Why did this happen? So that you and I today in Palm Bay, Florida can read this story and say that's the life-changing Jesus. That's what Jesus wanted and that's exactly what happens. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And please don't miss verse 34. How did this woman get healed? Was the garment of Jesus somehow magical? That if somehow we could get pieces of that and put it on our keychains, we could be saved from the accidents because we have that garment? That's not the saving, is it? Based on that, maybe we could tear up pieces of cloth and spell them for $9.95 as special cloths to protect you. I've actually been in hospitals and talked to people who almost believe exactly that. And it may not always be a piece of a cloth. It might be just a, a pastor who they think, that guy, he's going to be the one. But what saves him? Daughter, your faith has made you well. It was faith that changed her life. And what's neat about this story is what we see here now. If anyone else in that crowd was touched by this woman, they would have been considered unclean. But when she touches Jesus, she becomes clean. And that's who Jesus is. There are sick people all around the Sea of Galilee, and yet he's not healing all of them. Have you thought about that? And now he heals this woman when she touches him. Why? So people can go and say, he's God. I mean, Jesus could have just easily gotten off the boat, taken off his jacket and pulled a Benny Hinn and said, be healed. <laughs> and they all would have really been healed. Why only her? Because it's faith. It's faith. Faith that acts upon and runs to the Jesus, pushing her way through the crowds, that people may ask, who is this man? 
The winds obeyed him. The sea obeyed him. The demons obeyed him. He's even able to heal people. Who is this man? Do you get it? There's something bigger than healing that's going on in this story. This is not only the Lord over nature and able to cast out demons. Jesus is not only the Lord over demons and able to cast them out of a possessed man. Jesus is not only the Lord over illness and able to heal a sick body. Jesus is the Lord of all and able to save sinners. This is not the story about how Jesus came to heal sick people. This is the story about Jesus and how he came to save sinners. Because he's the life-changing Jesus. And friend, the gospel never promises us temporal healing in the physical bodies. If it had, then this lady could have told her own story today. Because if Jesus had just healed her body, and forever she was healed, she never would have died. Jesus didn't just heal her temporal, physical body. Eventually, something else would take her. What the gospel promises you is far more precious than healing your physical body. You could be forgiven of your sin. You can spend eternity in God's presence even though you don't deserve to be there, even though you are sick and you are diseased and you have been and are a disappointment and you carry shame of your sin. The story is just more story that helps us understand who Jesus is. In conclusion, let me just give you two simple points. Number one, I don't know what you're struggling with this morning. We all struggle and we all will struggle. But ever, whatever you're struggling with, just get to Jesus. And number two, if you've never put your faith in Jesus and you're still like the people in the crowds who are observing all of this, and seeing one running to Jesus, run with them and just get to Jesus. Because that's the power of a life-changing Jesus who isn't in it for your story. He's in it for his. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the example of this lady running to you. Lord, we've seen in this story someone who had a disease that Jesus used in his sovereign plan to point to himself. And only our God could do that. We praise you for that, for the clear testimony of grace in the life of this one. Lord, there may be some in this crowd who have never accepted Christ as their Savior. And today, Lord, we pray that they would run to Jesus. Lord, there may be others who have accepted Christ, but they're struggling. And, and no doubt in life, there are all manner of different struggles represented in this room. May they run to you as well. As the instruments begin to play, they're going to play the song, Christmas song, Who is He in Yonder Saul? That one of the fifth stanzas says, Who is He that from the grave comes to heal and to help and to save? It's exactly who Jesus is. Would you come to the one who has come to you to heal, to help, and to save?